Roller, just another music instrument company, known for its keyboards, its synths, and numerous of other devices that allowed musicians to express their creativity in many ways. However, there was one device that would become a bedrock for two genres. What is going on, you guys? My name is Stefan, and you are listening to the Audio Addiction Podcast. The Roland TR-808 Rhythm Composer, but you guys probably know it as the 808, has become one of the most desired pieces of technology for any producer of today. It has become a cultural icon, many songs referencing it like Alessia Carl's Wild Things. Even if you didn't know what the term 808 meant, you would have definitely heard its sound. Almost every piece of modern-day hip-hop music has an 808 in the background. But it wasn't always so ubiquitous. In fact, it was the very opposite. Looking at the Roland 808, it was a very new drum machine. These devices, drum machines I mean, first started making its way into the market in the late 1960s. The Hammond Organ Company would be releasing organs with a drum machine attached to it. The main reasoning for this was to have a one-man band at home. Although famous for its Hammond B3 organs, many homes would have the lower tier models of the Hammond organ. And what a great way to add more depth into your home jingles than with a 4-4 beat to accompany the mediocre playing of old Lang Syne. Later in the 1970s, Roland would take this idea of a drum machine and have it as a standalone device. They would release in 1978 the Roland CompuRhythm CR78, the first machine that can write, save, and replay its own patterns. The following device they would release would be more focused towards the professional market, aiming towards professional artists and studios to bolster their arsenal of ever-growing digital format machines. This would be the Roland 808 drum machine. The engineers at Roland were hell-bent of making a machine that can emulate real-sounding drums. It would try to tackle the obstacle for artists who didn't have a drum kit or a drummer and to create a machine that would be at their own back end. It was a mighty task. This emulation was just that. They would not use samples to do this and would require transistors to emulate the sounds Hence the reference for the term transistor rhythm. And that is where the cost of this device really, really skyrocketed. For the price of a 1,195 US dollars, that's about $3,634 in today's money, you can get a machine that can play bass drum, snare, toms, conga, rimshot, claves, hand clap, maracas, cowbell, cymbal, and hi-hat closed and open. Artists can program up to 32 patterns on this device and chain up to 768 measures, place accents where they saw fit, change tempo and time signatures, even allowing for the most odd signatures like 5-4 and 7 eighths. It carried volume knobs that you can create breaks or rolls within the sequencer. It was truly a novel product that can be used in the track. Now mind you, this is a device that's Never been done before. Before this, it was simply just using a drum kit and a drummer. Now you can have a drummer in a machine. And that was 
groundbreaking to say the least. I can't stress that enough of how insane that sounds to a person in the late 1970s. And an another important note, this was even before the invention of MIDI sequencers. All of this was analog. You couldn't have a drum kit through a keyboard. You couldn't have any other sounds through a keyboard. They were all programmed analog means. And to have this as a drum sequencer truly changed the game. However, despite the effort made by engineers, the drum sounds that came from the 808 were not very realistic. It would be robotic, spacey, electronic. Sounds that did not resemble a real drum kit. And because the intended purpose could not be resolved, then no one really bought it. Only 12,000 units were sold worldwide, and Roland would cut its production in 1983 where the price of building the unit simply came near impossible to do. Although it's commercial failure, there were some early adopters. One of the first ever recordings with the 808 would be for the Japanese progressive rock band called the Yellow Magic Orchestra in its song, 1000 Knives. Just a few years later, in 1983, Marvin Gaye would also use this device in the famous track, Sexual Healing. drawn to it because it freed him from relying on other musicians to create what Marvin saw in his mind. But outside of this, it never really made it into the mainstream sphere. After its discontinuation, the 808 found itself available in the used market. Studios, musicians never saw it valued from it and tried to cut their losses, selling it for almost one-tenth of the selling retail price. You could have one easily on the used market for about a hundred bucks. And this is where a new market for the 808 would appear, for the hip-hop circles. Due to its insane affordability and the fact that most rappers were not musicians, they needed to rely on something to make a beat for them. The 808 was a match made in heaven. It would also be quite popular in the electronic community for similar reasons but mainly to use its synthy, out-of-world sounds in their mixes. Soon you will see the 808 pop up in songs like Africa Bambada's Planet Rock, a song that was almost made exclusively with the 808. You could also see other hip-hop groups like Run DMC, LL Cool J, and Public Enemy adopting the 808. At this point, the 808 has become the equivalent to a guitar in rock music. For the hip-hop genre. If you want it to be a bona fide rap group, you gotta have an 808 in there. In the mid to late 80s is where we see the 808 to be used in a more creative aspect. Many producers started to play with the sounds that it was in the machine, pushing it to its limits. When modulating these sounds, you would be able to produce even more sounds, thus exponentially creating ever-evolving samples to an ever-growing genre. In 1984, you see artists using it to emulate a nuclear bomb test 
Or you have the group, the Beastie Boys, recording with the 808 and then reversing it, creating a whooshing percussion track. It came to a peak in 2008, where a rapper called Kanye West would rely on this soul machine to create an entire album. Using the drum machine as not only a percussive, but a melodic instrument. Using a pitch shifter, you are able to actually create notes in the bass drum. Mapping that onto a keyboard, you are able to create melodies with them. Again, further pushing the limits of this now 30-year-old machine. It is one of the most influential machines in the music industry today, being referenced by countless musicians, and even more so still using it to this day. Trap music is basically an 808 in the background. It's almost weird to listen to a trap song without one. And it has gone to a point where it has become some form of mythical being. Something you hear in folklore. Something magical. And that's all for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the 808 is something that you don't really get to really, really know. But it's something that you hear on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean... Name me a trap song now that doesn't have an 808 in the background. And all of this because it was a commercial failure. If it wasn't really for its affordability, then hip-hop artists would probably gravitate to something more on the cheaper side. That's why they really bought it. It's not because of its unique sounds. The sounds were terrible. The 808, <laughs> the 808 uh, for all serious purposes, had terrible sounds. It was very, very... Um, Bit bitty, uh, very robotic. I mean, you could have certain cases with it with electronic dance music. I can definitely see that. But for hip-hop, heck no. Hip-hop didn't really care about what beats it was using at the time. It was such a young genre. Artists just needed a beat maker. And that's where the 808 really came in. And again, check out this podcast on all your major podcast services like Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you like this episode of Audio Addiction, consider heading down to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review. I'd love to know what you thought about this podcast. And also, if you think that your friends or family would also like this episode, consider sharing it as well. I'll see you later, you guys. Bye.